0: This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast.
1: We are your study buddies for neonatology topics.
0: I'm Dr. Ben Korsha.
1: And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbeau.
0: Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Tuesday. We're talking about ROP, retinopathy of prematurity.
1: Daphna, how's it going? It's good. I mean, I I can't stop thinking about the, the story of, of ROP. And, and one of the things that comes to mind is really like when we, you know, we've been talking a lot about research and collaboration and uh, global communication. And I just can't imagine how much people got done, you know, <laughs> it, uh, collaborating by like snail mail,
0: right? Without email, <laughs> Slack, That's and right. WhatsApp, yeah. <laughs>
1: um. So, I mean, it's really amazing when you think about it, and we have so little to complain about. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. So um, today we're talking. What, what are we covering today? We're talking about pathophysiology and uh, screening of ROP. Correct.
1: That's right. That's right. Okay. So I have a question for you. Um, It is, which of the following have been implicated in the pathogenesis of ROP? Is it A, erythropoietin, B, VEGF, C, IGF-1, D, reactive oxygen species, or E, all of the above?
0: So I think based on the question that you've just asked, um, in the case of ROP, erythropoietin, VEGF, IGF-1, reactive oxygen species or all of the above. I think all of the above have been implicated in one way or another into the pathogenesis of ROP.
1: Yeah, that is, that's right. And it's going to take me the whole episode to, to, <laughs> to give you the, 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 the explanation for this question. So let's, let's get, get started. It. Real talk. We're talking about retinopathy of prematurity. So let's talk about the retina. Let's start there. So remember that your eye is a globe. Um, so I think sometimes when we think about ROP and we get those drawings from the ophthalmologist and they're like in 2D, it's hard to really understand what's going on because the eye is in 3D. Um, and so again, remember your eye is a globe. So the retina sits at the back of the globe. It basically lines The back portion of the globe. Um, And the cells of the retina, the photoreceptors, convert light rays that come in through the pupil into signals that move to the brain through the optic nerve. Um, So the retina um, surrounds the optic nerve um, and uh, the macula, um, which contains the fovea, um, where we have our um, most sensitive or uh, highest visual acuity. I think it's important that we also talk about normal retinal development. So the retina starts uh, within the neuroectoderm at day 23 of gestation, really early, and astrocytes appear at the optic nerve at about eight weeks. And this is important because vasculature follows the path of the astrocyte precursor, which is actually kind of cool. Um, The astrocytes basically like leave this trail for the um, vessels to follow. So normal vascularization begins at 12 weeks, and by 28 weeks, the astrocytes have migrated out to the retinal periphery uh, with the vasculature following along. Um, And the retinal vasculature is typically completed at about 36 to 40 weeks gestation. So obviously, that's why our preterm infants are very much affected by retinopathy of prematurity. And thusly, preterm birth is really kind of the first hit, so to speak, for ROP. Um, so actually, ROP really consists of two phases, and I think that people maybe aren't so familiar with that. So we should go over them. So phase one of retinopathy of prematurity is really driven by oxygen toxicity, um, and what happens is that retinal vascularization at that time totally arrests due to hyperoxia at the time of delivery. Because if you'll remember, the in-utero environment is relatively hypoxic. And it's that hypoxia um, in utero that causes growth factors like IGF-1, EPO, and VEGF to be present and plentiful and to cause normal vessel growth. Thusly, um, when the baby is delivered prematurely, has uh, RDS and oxygen needs, hyperoxia decreases these normal, uh, normally present angiogenic factors. And in addition, prematurity and complications of prematurity further decrease um, one of the strongest um, angiogenic factors, IGF 1. Um, Those things are like growth restriction, acidosis, sepsis, inflammation, um, dysregulation of the thyroid hormones, all impact IGF 1 um, and further decrease them so that less um, vasculogenesis occurs. Um, And in addition, birth itself disrupts uh, the nutrient supply from the placenta and the mother. In particular, um, things like uh, the PUFAs, our polyunsaturated fatty acids, like uh, the omega-3 fatty acids, um, have been implicated in retinopathy of prematurity. And they've actually been trialed um, as a therapy. So that's the first phase um, where hyperoxia um, arrests retinal vascularization. And then phase two is initiated. So um, eventually, um, we have hypoxia-mediated vasoproliferation because um, as the retina grows and develops, there's increased metabolic demand. Um, And so it causes hypoxia um, because really the demand um, is bigger than the supply of oxygen. And so at that time, the astrocytes, remember, that helped direct the movement of the vessels, start secreting these angiogenic precursors again. And this hypoxia, just like it would have done normally in utero, stimulates EPO and VEGF, which in turn stimulates new growth of the vessels. But um, especially for VEGF, this can't occur until there's sufficient IGF-1 present, um, which increases over gestational age or postnatal age. So VEGF is being pumped out, pumped out, pumped out. And then bam, when there's a threshold of IGF-1 that's sufficient, there's like uncontrolled vasoproliferation uh, because the supply of the angiogenic factors is um, so plentiful. So those are the phases, Um, but we don't really talk about the phases when um, we talk about screening um, for the preterm babies. Um, And a little bit about screening, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, screening occurs in general for infants 30 weeks or less and less than 1,500 grams or less. Um, And then there are similar but not totally identical cutoffs established worldwide in other countries. Um, and you can include larger or older infants with an unstable course since their vessel growth may have also been dysregulated, uh, by some of those factors that are complications of prematurity, um, that we discussed. And the progression of disease is indicated by three components, really. The first is stage, the next is extent, which we'll talk about, um, and then the third descriptor is location. So, um, Staging of rop can feel complicated, but hopefully we can break it down. Stage zero means there's just immature retina uh, with basically you can tell that the there has been cessation of blood vessel growth and then in stage one, that's when you can really see a flat line of demarcation between parts of the retina that are vascularized. Uh, and then parts of the retina that are avascular. It's like these little vascular rivers just kind of stop and they meet land. And then in stage two, that line of demarcation becomes bulkier to form a ridge, kind of like a, like a mountain peak. And, um, Tufts of new vessels may appear on the edge of this ridge, but those vessels are still um, kind of in the plane of the retina growing along the the back of the globe. And the angiogenesis causes new vessels to grow up over the ridge into the vitreous. So this is where that 3D structure is really um, important, is when we get into stage 3 ROP, and so instead of growing in line with the retina, they start to grow, um, you know, past the retina, over that mountainous ridge, and because this is a three dimensional structure, um, you can see that then they'll start um, to to grow inward into the vitreous, which is the fluid um, that the retina surrounds within the globe. And so that's stage 3 ROP, when you have these new vessels growing up over the ridge. Um, This is also where you can start to see plus disease. So um, the posterior retinal blood vessels can become very dilated and tortuous, and that's really plus disease. And you can't actually get plus disease in any of the stages, and we'll talk a little bit about, about more about plus disease in a little bit. Um, But without intervention, there's progressive um, gliosis of the retina. So this is like a little scar on the retina. And you can imagine as um, the scar kind of contracts and you have the retina that is lining the back of the globe around, you know, hugging the vitreous. um, You can imagine those blood vessels start to move uh, upwards along over the ridge and then they Pull on the retinal ridge and they pull the retina inwards into the vitreous. Um, and that's where we can see retinal, partial retinal detachment, which is stage four, or even complete retinal detachment, stage five. Um, and that's when you really have a risk of blindness. And so um, the, the point of ROP treatment is really to reduce progression to stages four and five because they predict particularly poor um, functional visual outcomes. So, so far we talked about stage. Um, Next, we'll talk about the extent. And so extent is this uh, quote unquote clock hours. So we've been talking about this 3D globe, um, but really in terms of clock hours, you really have to think of it more of a, as like a 2D flat clock. Um, And so basically the clock hours are how far around the eye um, does, does the disease go? So you can imagine if you start at twelve, which is at the top, and you go to three, that's three clock hours versus going all the way to six, which would be more extent six clock hours and then you might ask, um what if there are numerous stages? so you would use the clock hours of the most advanced or highest stage and then the third descriptor I told you previously was the location um, so. We've talked about how the vessels are growing, we've talked about um, how far kind of circumferential, um, which is the extent of the clock hours, and then the location is the zones. So zone one, includes the optic nerve and the macula, and is the most posterior zone, or the farthest point of the globe of the eye, away from the pupil, so all the way on the back of the eye, um, which makes sense because that's where the optic nerve um, connects to the eye and then leaves the eye, the globe, and and goes to the brain. And if you think back to photographs you've seen of the eye, like when we were reviewing you know, all those torch infections, Um, the optic nerve isn't central, but it's actually kind of medial and inferior towards the nose. So thusly zone one is also off center. Um, And notably, I didn't know this measurement, but zone one has a radius of twice the distance from the optic disc to the center of the macula. So that's how our ophthalmologists know where does zone one end. Zone two surrounds zone one. So it extends all the way to the nasal margin um, and it's centered on the optic disc. So, you know, when they give us those pictures, those um, overlapping circles are again off center nasally. And then finally, zone three is the remaining part of the retina, which is really like a slender kind of crescent moon around zone two. And it's only present on the temporal side of the eye. And this is again, where that 3D structure comes in. So it's the most anterior zone or the closest to the pupil along the globe. So zone one's all the way in the back um, around the optic nerve and the macula. Then zone two is, is more anterior, closer to the, you know, front of the face, the front of the globe and the pupil. And then zone three is the most anterior zone. Um, And so this is kind of the the key about the zones. As we discussed previously, angiogenesis and vascularization progress from the optic disc outward. So if you have disease in zone one, which is closest to the optic disc, it indicates that the early cessation of growth and development happened earlier. And so there's less normal vascularization because that um, abrupt cessation of the angiogenic process, um, you know, it stopped all the way in zone one. It didn't even make it to zone two or zone three. And in addition, um, it really just represents a very immature retina. But because zone 1 contains the macula and the fovea, which is where our highest visual acuity is, um, this is why retinopathy in zone 1 has a very bad prognosis um, because it it indicates that the rest of the eye, the rest of the retina is still pretty immature and um, there's disease where we might compromise our highest visual acuity. So those are the big... Picture items. And then, like I said, after you indicate the stage, the zone, and the clock hours, you would want to know if plus disease is present, which we talked a little bit about uh, earlier. But it really looks at the dilation and the tortuosity of the vessels, which makes them more prone to bleeding um, and more prone to causing that scarring that would um, kind of make a good environment for retinal detachment. And so The next question is really, how tortuous is tortuous? And so I actually thought this was really cool. And I admittedly, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know this, but ophthalmologists use like a specific reference photograph to compare if vessels look less tortuous or more tortuous than this photograph. Um, And so um, that would indicate if it looks at least as tortuous or more tortuous, then you have plus disease. And then you may have heard about pre-plus disease in um, what that means is the vasculature doesn't look like these fine spider-like wisps, which is what we normally see um, in the retinal vasculature, but it doesn't quite look as dilated or as tortuous as the reference photo. So it's on its way, but it's not quite there. The only other thing I wanted to mention, which I think confuses people a lot, it confused me um, until really I was studying for the boards um, and my study group uh, really helped me understand what this meant. But one of the other terms we hear is quote unquote threshold disease. And all that means is that there is a 50% risk of retinal detachment if left untreated. And so... Given the studies of babies that looked at how uh, progression of ROP happens, um, this threshold disease, um, again, which is 50% risk of retinal detachment if we don't intervene at that time, is ROP of more than five contiguous, so five uh, kind of touching clock hours, or eight cumulative clock hours. So you may have disease on one side of the clock and then on the other side of the clock, um, of stage three or plus disease in zone 1 or zone 2. Um, and then because they have such a high risk of retinal detachment and left untreated, eyes with threshold disease are the ones that are recommended to be treated. Okay. So now we've gone over the history. Uh, we've talked a little bit about kind of the pathophysiology and screening. And tomorrow we're going to get back into um some of the quote-unquote newer studies relating to to retinopathy of prematurity
0: yeah this is this is going to be fun we're going to get into um the support trial the, the famous support trial and some of these other uh stop rop trials so so this is going to be interesting um and like we said so many so many papers mm-hmm. so um <laughs> see you tomorrow guys get ready <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to NICUpodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.